Let me introduce our feature guest today, Christian de la Huerta. Christian is a sought after spiritual leader, personal transformation coach, and leading voice in the breathwork community. He has traveled the world offering inspiring and transformational retreats, combining psychological and spiritual teachings with lasting and life-changing effects. His new book, Awakening the Soul of Power, is our subject for today. And I'm going to read a quote of Christians that describes just how important this is. The world needs us all as soulful leaders, fully in our power. It needs us all who have even an inkling or suspicion that we have work to do to advance our collective solution on this planet. This is it. We are the help. All hands on deck. The time is now. Calling all leaders. Welcome, Christian. Hi, Jane. Thank you so much for the welcome and the introduction. Hey, everybody. Honored to be here. Yes. Yeah, so great to have you. And so important for all of us to step into our soulful power. Describe to us what soulful power is. I mean, so many of us have a little bit of a problem stepping into power because we've had power held over us you know, through corruption or government or, you know, in many ways. So what is soulful power? Exactly. Um, most of us do have an ambivalent relationship to power. Like there's a part of us that wants it and there's a part of us that rejects it, that doesn't want anything to do with it. And, and no wonder because of what you're talking about. We've witnessed countless examples of, of abuses of power. On top of that, we've also been conditioned to believe that power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. And so what good what good hearted person wants to abuse power or be corrupted by it? So add to that, to the mix, the fact that we have also been conditioned to be afraid of the emotions. We avoid conflict. We hate confrontation. So put all that together into a mix and what happens? We end up giving away our power and, and selling out on our power for illusion of security for false sense of acceptance and for morsels of pseudo love. How many times have we said yes when put on a fake smile when inside we really meant no and it was not okay with us? Exactly, and pseudo security, right? Because real power comes from within. Yes, yes, so, so that's the first part when you, you know, going back to your question of what is soulful power. It's like the first, the first part and the first step in healing this ambivalent relationship we have with, with it is realizing that there's different types. So there's power the way that the world sees it, which we tend to associate with money, with fame, with people who have some kind of, you know, part of some kind of hierarchy, whether it's a corporate ladder or religious institution or something like that. But the thing about those kinds of power, those expressions of it, they're outside of us. So by definition, they're here today could be gone tomorrow. Whereas the other kind of power that, we, that you're pointing to and asking about, soulful power, it's inside every one of us. And nobody can give it to us. Nobody can take it away. We are the only ones who can give it away. Um, and for all the reasons that we were talking about before. So part of, part of this journey of personal empowerment is, is realizing that, yes, we can find ways of expressing it that are congruent with who we are that are a match with who we are, and that doesn't require for us to push anybody down, to step on them, to put our knee, knee to their neck in order for us to feel powerful. 
Right, and so important for each of us to take our place in that. Christian, you also talk about the word apocalypse as lifting the veil and so much truth has been lifted recently. Can you just tell us about that? And then I'm gonna hand it off to Carl. Yeah, thank you, Jane. Yeah, we, when we look at the state of the world, it feels apocalyptic. Like we're living in apocalyptic times. We have, you know, fire, you know, descending from the heavens um, in, the, in the sense of, you know, bombs and um, weapons that we throw at each other. Um, we have worldwide plagues, we have global world changes, you know, earth changes and weather patterns changing. So it can feel really scary these times that we're in, but what, if we look more deeply at that word apocalypse in ancient Greek, it meant lifting the veil. So to me, what that means is that in these times of dramatic change, what's happening is where the existing power structures are changing. Right? And, and many of the old ways of doing things are, are imploding right in front of our eyes. So the veils are being lifted and we're seeing the, the man, the cowardly weak man that hides behind the curtain. Um, <clears throat> and so to me, it's part of the same thing of, of this shifting relationship to power. Hi, Christian. Sorry, I have my mute button on there. <laughs> um, yeah, there's so many, so many interesting things that we could go on this. Um, I mean, I suppose the first thing that came to mind was um, the power. There's a power within, and then there's this power outside. This it's more demonstrative outside. Um, and I haven't thought this through, it just popped up. Surely there must be a difference in the quality of this power, or, or not so much the quality, but the essence of this power. Because the one inside, um, well, first of all, I, I would see that as being superior, as maybe even the source, almost like a potential, where the demonstration of outside power is... Um, really the demonstration of something else, more like force. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And, and another thing that came to mind was the power of, uh, you were talking about the power of, of force, uh, the power of domineering. But then there's also the power of, of grace and the power of forgiveness. So that's where my, where my thinking was going with that. And also our inner power is that power to express ourselves. And with that comes all those things of liberty and freedom and the rights and our inalienable rights. So maybe you could talk a bit more on the inner and outer types of power. Yeah, yeah. And and and, and you nailed it, right? You're like, you're thinking exactly the way that I think about it. In fact, I have in the latter part of the book, I have 13 short chapters on paths to power. And you named like two or three of them, the, you know, the path of forgiveness, the path of, of um, I forget which other one you mentioned, grace. Um, which, which is interesting, right? Because we tend to associate the external power as, as more powerful, but it's actually the other way around. So you picked up on that too. So the external worldly power or egoic power, um, it's self-aggrandizing. So it, and it always has an agenda. It's always trying to, to grab something for itself and it's always trying to prove something, right? And it, and it depends on that. Whereas the internal power, the spiritual power, soulful power, whatever you want to call it. Um, it's humble, right? And it, and it doesn't need to prove anything to anybody. It just simply is. 
And yet it's it's really powerful. I would say it's even more powerful. So think about Gandhi or Gandalf, you know, and, and their simple monastic robes, their sandal feet. You would never know what kind of power they hold until it's needed, until they, until it's called for. And then be careful, right? Gandhi brought the British Empire to its knees when it was at its highest point globally in terms of global reach without ever picking up a gun or, or landing a punch. Talk about power. Yeah, um, <clears throat> I was just sort of thinking that it's a power that also comes with uh, uh, its own morality. It's an alignment. Um, could I be so bold as to say it comes with knowing what's right and wrong? Although those can be subjective too. It's, it's um, well, anyway, we come with an inner knowing of, of, of where you stand, I guess your own morality. I think so, yeah. I don't know that I, I haven't thought that out yet about the morality layer, but it's a really interesting question. Um, what, what does feel right to me, which, which kind of makes sense in the way you're, you're framing it, is that because it, it is internal, it is connected to, to that deeper part of who we are, you know, call it intuition, the place where creativity resides, you know, our authentic selves. Um, and so I think by definition, those qualities of us connected to that, those places are inherently ethical, moral, you know, they're, they're, they're not, they're more about service and making a difference rather than trying to grab something for itself or having some kind of an agenda. Um, so one, another way to think about it, one is power over this spiritual power is yeah. power with, right? So, so it's not threatened power. The, the worldly power believes that there's a limited amount, right? So it's a zero sum game. You're having power takes away from mine. So then I cannot allow you to have power. Whereas the other one says, like, wait a minute, I'm so secure in my power that I can celebrate yours. Why would your having power take away from mine? Yeah. So it's, it's, it's really quite different. Yeah. The inner power. Yeah. 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 So yeah, that was good just to explore that anyway. Um, um, will I pass this on now to uh, Hartmut? Yes. Thank you, Carl. Um, I thought uh, I thought also about the morality, and I think a lot of um, I think more in the term of integrity. There is this. There is a small picture. You have you have a very powerful man in front of standing uh, and standing in front of someone, and then he holds a black book to this man and he said, "This is a white book. Can you see it?" Yeah. And then uh, if you let the power from outside to inside, then you say, "Yes, I see the white book, although it's a black one." But if you if you still say I see the black book, then he said no, you 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 failed the test, and it's out. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, and this is the way the the external power works. Until and uh, the people are get so, let's say, slaved that they don't have no free will anymore, and they do everything what they what they are told to do. Yeah, and and. Um, but I wanted to tell you, but I wanted to ask you a completely different subject. I wanted to ask you concerning the the prison of the power or the the imprisonment of the power of the higher self or of the soul, because the prison of the soul is, in my opinion, the fourth dimension. Hmm. 
many people have, um, for example, have fear. They have, uh, they think about a lot of situations which will never happen. And so their mind is in the fourth dimension and not in the present. And, um, and also on, in the fourth dimension, there are attacks, for example, by scalar waves and all that stuff. Can you, work, can you talk a little bit more about that, maybe? Yeah. Um, I mean, that's one of the reasons why I call it worldly power or egoic power, because of the power of the ego, of the ego mind. And we would have time to really get into what the ego is, because there's so much misunderstanding in the world about what it is. A great visual for people to understand the ego mind, it's, it's a part of us that kind of synthesizes Sensory information can go into the past, like you're referring to, can project into the future and weave all of that into, into a coherent sense of self, a personality. This is Christian, that's Jane, right? So it's, it's ultimately it's an illusion, both a really helpful, helpful illusion in terms of evolution of consciousness and also the source of all our pain and our suffering. So if you, the visual is if you put a baseball in the center of a stadium, that's what the ego is. Who we are is actually the freaking stadium. And we've allowed this tiny, 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 infinitesimal part of who we are to think that it is all who we are and to make choices, like really big choices about, about our lives and what we do and our relationships and our purpose. From And we make all these choices from its very small and always fear-based perspective. So I think, I think that's what you're talking about. Yes, yes. Yeah. That's right, yeah. That's that's interesting. And um, how can you um, do? You have a tool that the people can, let's say, can understand. Okay, I'm in the ego right now, and I want to get out because the problem is if they are in the ego, in that moment they have, um, well, they are not in the present, and you realize, for example, or sometimes they realize 30 minutes later, oh, I was in the ego, and 30 minutes are gone. <laughs> yeah. yeah? yeah. No, you're absolutely right. And so the whole first part of the book, you know, maybe a third of the book, it's all about the ego and how we understand its machinations and its shenanigans because it's tricky. And the further that we go along the spiritual path, the more awakened and evolved, the trickier and the more insidious that it becomes. But, but here's a, a great way to determine who's that voice in my head, right? Is it the voice of the ego or is it the stadium speaking through me right now? So some simple ways. Whenever we find ourselves you know, pulling concepts from here, using big words, trying to build a case to prove that we're right, ego. The ego went to law school. And, and it's always building a case to prove that it's right. And it appoints itself judge, jury, and prosecutor. It knows exactly what you did that was wrong, what the punishment should be, and delivers it on top of that. So the voice of the soul, the stadium, the higher self, whatever you want to call it, It's that still quiet voice inside, right? It's inside every one of us. It's, it call, it's voice of intuition, the voice of knowing, the, the voice of connectedness. And, and it has very simple words and languages and, and, and ways of expressing. So it will say, yes, mm -mm. do this. I wouldn't go there. When do we get into trouble? When we overwrite it, right? Every time and we go there anyway. And so the, the ego mind is also very, uh, it's fickle, and it's also kind of grandiose. So this week it'll say, oh, I know exactly what I'm going to do with the rest of my life. That's gonna, it's going to solve um, all of the world's 
hunger problem and it's, bring, it's going to bring universal peace and solve cancer and make me a multi-gazillionaire in the process. You know, a month goes by, three months, and, you know, it's, it's like it gets tired and it's, and it's a little bit lazy, the ego. So I said, no, 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 this is, this is too much. Right? This is not it. This is what I'm going to do now that's going to solve all my problems and, and solve all the world's problems. Right? So it's, it's fickle and also and grandiose, whereas that other part of us, it's, it's constant. Right, and it's, it's it says do that. A year later, after we've crashed multiple projects and nothing is working, that little voice is still saying do that. The thing is, like we have to get access to it, right? Because that other part of us, the ego, is what the Buddha's referred to as the monkey mind. So it's loud and chaotic, and it's jumping from thought to thought in the same way that a monkey goes from branch to branch. So we have to learn how to quiet that monkey mind so that we can listen to the still quiet voice inside each one of us. It's in there with all the answers to all of our problems and all our questions. It's very interesting. And um, in the in the time right now, we have also, also 4G and 5G. And all these frequencies which are around us right now, they attack our energy field. And, the, and, and if the energy field is attacked, in that moment, the ego is directly feeling um well let's say it this way the ego has the task to 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 recognize the attack in order to say okay attack or, or run away so the problem is by these frequencies we are the most time in our ego and our frequencies for example our, our five frequency bands for alpha beta one beta two delta and theta one and and the theta waves they are completely crazy and we have very difficulties to do the meditation and to get in contact with this voice how can what can you recommend there well you just you just said it right meditation you know okay. it's, it's the simple practice of, of even just self-observation 99 of the time if, if we sit for 10 minutes three times a week Right, 99%, most of the time it's going to be, oh, we're watching our breath or repeating a mantra, counting our breath, whatever it is that we do. Oh, there I go, you know, doing my shopping list. Back to the breath. Oh, there I go, doing my to-do list for tomorrow. Back to the present, back to the breath. Oh, there it is. I was thinking about what so-and-so told me at the office yesterday. Back to the breath. Oh, just wait till I see her when I get to the office. This is when I'm sitting. It's like it's 99% of the time that's what's going on. Once in a while, we have that great moment of quiet mind and connectedness, maybe even bliss. But that's not even the, the purpose or the benefits of meditation. The benefit of that meditation is, is that practice, right? It's practice so it's of self-observation so that once we're in the middle of we're about to go over the waterfall, we're into, in a heated argument, and we're about to say or do something that we're just going to say in reactivity and then because we're in that self-righteous mode of the ego or because we're defensive because somebody said something that we interpreted as hurt or betrayal or whatever we interpreted it as. So I'm going to get them back. But it's, so it's that practice of boring meditation that, go, that can give, give us that moment of like, wait a minute, wait a minute, there I go. I'm about to react and then regret. As we go through that boring cycle of react and then regret a thousand times. So it, what it does is buys us a moment of choice so that we can say, okay, ouch, that one hurt. So I'm not okay with it. How do I want to be? How do I want to show up in the situation? How do I want to respond with choice rather than just reacting? 
and regretting. And so, so what you're what you're pointing us to is is the benefit of meditation. Great, thank you. Thank I you. give to Zahir. Thank you. It was great. Yeah, hi, Christian. I'm I'm interested to know where the inspiration came from for you personally to write your book, and uh, and I mean the title speaks for itself. But I want I want to also hear what your I suppose uh, goal for that book for anyone who reads it. What, what are you what are you hoping to achieve? Yeah, thank you. Great questions. So, so the inspiration. I actually, I was actually sitting in meditation. So it's a great segue. And only three times in my life have I actually heard audible words while sitting in meditation. This was one of them. And and I heard the soul of power. And I said, "Huh, that's cool." I got up from meditation, got the URL, and forgot about it. A couple of months later, I was. I was working with an agent in New York, with a literary agent, and I had, she was finally getting back to me about a book proposal on a different subject. Yeah. And she said to me, you know what, I want to work with you, but I want to see some of these marketing plans implemented before we pitch it to a publisher, which would have taken me a year to implement those marketing plans. So it was like putting on the brakes, you know, I was already spending the advance in my mind. Um, and then it kind of sent me into crisis for a few days. It's like, you know, what do I do now? Uh, this is not the solution that I was hoping would be. And then, and then I, I then I had like like a, one of those light bulb moments. It was or you know palm to the forehead kind of moments. It's like, wait a minute. If I really believe when I say, which I've been saying for years, that the single most important thing that needs to happen in the world is the empowerment of women. Because to that, we can connect all the other issues that we face. It's not to idealize women. It's not to put them up on a pedestal. That's a huge responsibility. It's, it's because there's been such an imbalance of power in this world in terms of gender for way too long, and it's just no longer acceptable. Because when women are in 50% of power, we'll have a very different relationship to all of it, to war and poverty and hunger and social justice and, and wealth distribution and how we treat the environment. So it's, it's not that we want to go back to a matriarchal system. It's like we want balance, right? That's what's being called for is balance in the world and inside each one of us um, between the masculine and the feminine energy. So, so, so then I thought, all right, if I do believe that, soul of power is like, duh. So how do we step into power in a different way? That is not the patriarchal. You know, you either F it or kill it, and I have to control it or, or dominate it. Um, and it just doesn't work, right? It's, it's the kind of power that's had this, this rape and village and, and pillage relationship to the earth that is just no longer sustainable. Um, so, so that's when I realized that even as, as bad as the oppression of women has been and unacceptable, that men are also paying a price for this patriarchal system of toxic masculinity when it comes to power. Because part of the way that we can think about that is we've got this twisted relationship or definition of what it means to be a man. So we have to walk around like this and like robots are not feeling because emotions are weakness and only little girls cry, little boys don't cry. And, but there's a price to pay for that, right? That's like this is a prison that we put ourselves in. And, and look at the, the suicide rates in this country, in the U.S. I don't know about the rest of the world, but in the U.S., which is the numbers that I studied, four times as high the rate of suicide committed by men than women. Similar, similar here in Australia. Yeah, yeah, it doesn't surprise me. 
70% of the rate, rate of, of the suicides in this country committed by middle-aged white men. Hmm. If we look at longevity, you know, women outlive men by five years in this country, by seven years worldwide. Hmm. So what's, what's up with that? The system doesn't work, even for men who've had the, the upper hand where it comes to power. Hmm. And I forgot hmm. your other question. <laughs> Uh, I suppose what was your main objective with the book itself? Yeah, that's right. Well, you know, we've been talking about it for. I, I think that the main thing it's it's about realizing that we don't have to give our power away. Uh, that we've been selling ourselves so cheaply and selling and, and settling for less because of this misunderstanding about power is and and what we think will happen if we really step into our power. You know, we think we might end up alone, that our relationships won't survive. Um, and and so, so the point of the book is like, wait a minute, you can't find a way to, to get in touch with and express your power in a way that, that is a match for who you are, that, that is part of your integrity, part of your own you know, way of, of being and thinking, um, and that you never have to sell out or say yes again if it doesn't really work for you, that you can have clear boundaries, um, and that it doesn't mean abuse. We're taking advantage of other people. Um, and that has an impact on all of our relationships. So I think that combine that with the message about understanding what the ego mind is and how it works, because to me, that's critical. Like no matter, like if we want to have relationships that work, that have a chance at working, if we want to have a sense of personal empowerment, if we want to be, if we want to have a life that is filled with meaning and purpose, We've got to understand how the mind works, how it keeps us in a self-made prison, so that we can get free from it. I wonder if you wanted to comment on this, because it's a little bit of a political question. Uh, and uh, I've noticed, you know, from an outsider looking into what's going on in the US, you know, you spoke about the empowerment of women and, uh, you know, the the, how men also play into that. But, you know, we, I've seen people like Nancy Pelosi come out and say, we don't want the words mother, sister, you know, grandmother, all these words used in Congress. Uh, there's been now, um, you know, women's sport, in my opinion, has been under attack as well. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm a father myself. I have a wife. I mean, I treasure that, that honour of being a father. My wife uh, is absolutely honoured to be a mother and, and embraces that. Do you think, I mean, obviously it's going, from my opinion, it's going way too far in that direction. Um, what are your thoughts on what's going on there? Is that a bit yeah. of an attack? Yeah, I didn't, I didn't, I had, I didn't know um, that Pelosi says that. And, but, but the thing about it is that because we've got this misunderstanding about power, we've seen it, you know, where, where women feel like to step into power to be seen as credible leaders, they have to assume these very masculine or pseudo-macho ways of being, you know, like act mm -hmm. as if. Um, great example of that using, you know, this, this country's political arena, maybe a little bit less charged time. Think about the, the when Hillary and Obama were going up for, for you know, during the primaries. Yeah. And I don't know, you know, I'm, I'm just projecting this. I, I've never spoken to her. But I am I don't know if somebody told her or whether she just reached that conclusion on her own. But to, in some degree, she must have felt like to be seen as, as a credible leader, global leader, she had to act really tough. So she was really hawkish and really 
oh, you know, you got to go and, and kick butt. Understandable. Yeah. Whereas Obama actually embodied much more of the female principle, right? Mm -hmm. he, he's like, he knows who he is. He doesn't need to exert power. Um, he, it, the feminine principle is much more about having everybody at the table, dialogue. Um, and so no wonder, right? The whole world got behind him, right? Mm -hmm. Because even though she's in the female body, he embodied much more of that female principle, which by the way, is no less powerful. Right to to, I'm not gonna do it justice because she, she does justice. But if you wanna, if you want, you know, to if you if you don't think the feminine is powerful, um, this is from Betty White, the comedian, um, who's about to turn 100, I think. But she was talking she was talking about why we tend to associate, you know, balls with having courage. She goes, "What do you mean? You, know, you just gotta thump those things, and the man bends over and collapses in pain." Do you want to talk strength? You want to talk power? Let's talk vaginas. Those things take a pounding. <laughs> Terrible. Good On that note, Grace, you're up. <laughs> I, think I heard that from a comedian, and it's good for us to laugh. I think laughter is power. That's all I can say right now. Um, First, thank you, thank you for being with us. Uh, you know, uh, Christian, <laughs> so that's a beautiful name. I have a nephew who we named Christian also, Christian David. Now, thank you, Grace. Mm -hmm. I, I wanted, my, my heart is always close to the kids, to the young children, and of course, to the adults, or to the seniors, you know, and that's partly also very cultural, right? And in one of your books, and first, I want to also thank tell you that your cover, the, your book titles are awesome. They're you know mm -hmm. the calling you for heroes, and then this awakening the soul. So it's beautiful title. Thank so you in, so much. <laughs> in your book, you shared your experience of how you and your family, especially your parents, gave you instruction on not to stand out. You know, so that you're trying to survive and thrive until you got out of Cuba. And then also in Cuba, and because of all those, you were in 10 years in Cuba, and now you're here. In the book, if I understand it correctly, it took you years to really kind of like um, let go, let go of that woven orientation, not to stand out. So I was just thinking, please share your thoughts about what's happening with the kids right now. Because you know, they, they are in mass, they're in school, they're whatever it is, no matter what, kids are very intelligent. They may ask questions, they may not ask, but they absorb, they soak up everything. And what can, what can we suggest, what can you suggest to the parents as well? Well, let me, let me give a little bit more context. Great question. Let me give more context for my own personal conflict between wanting to be seen, which is a human thing, and, and the hiding, the wanting to not be seen. So my, ten, my first 10 years, as you're pointing to, I was in the communist regime um, in Cuba. And my parents were counter-revolutionaries, and so they're actually conspiring um, against um, the Castro regime. And out of their group of friends, they were the only ones, you know, maybe, I don't know, 30 friends or whatever. They were the only ones who didn't go to jail, to prison for 17, 20 years, or who exiled, or who got killed. 
Um, so, so that's what the training came from, right? You don't want to be seen too much. You don't want to call attention to yourself. At the same time that my sister and I excelled in, 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 in you know, we got good grades. Um, so is that conflict? Did I lose the camera? No, we, we still see you. So. <laughs> Yeah, somehow I'm, I'm not seeing you. Uh, but, but anyway, um, so when I came to the States, you know, I didn't speak a word of English and, and painfully shy on, the, on top of, you know, the conditioning of, of hiding, painfully shy. So I was okay one-on-one. -on -one. If you had a third human, um, I clammed up to the degree that I sabotaged subconsciously. I didn't do this intentionally then. Yeah, but figured it out later. I sabotaged my grade point average. Uh, so I had all A's, you know, which is the highest um, grade system here in the States, except for one B, um, which is, you know, like the 80 percentile, 80 to 90 percentile. Um, and that was enough for me not to have to give the valedictorian speech because there is no way that I was ready to get in front of a group of you know, hundreds and hundreds of people in front of an auditorium. And yet I had a sense of mission. Um, and I knew that I had to get over that. So, so that's why in some ways I say that I'm such an unlikely person to be, to be writing and speaking about power and what it means to live a heroic life. But the beauty of that is like, I know that if I can get free and if I can transcend all those fears and obstacles and challenges, I know anybody can. And this book, Awakening the Soul of Power, walks people by the hand as to how to set themselves free. Um, and in terms of your, what you're talking about the kids these days, I think in, at least in this country, Grace, um, you know, in other parts of the world, self-expression is not as strong. Like in some of the Asian countries, for example, it's, they're more about the community. Um, in this country and, and many of the Western countries, the, the drive for individuality is really encouraged. Um, and today, I think we might have even been a little bit to the other, too much to that extreme with, you know, with celebrity culture and the selfie um, way of living that I'm not, I'm not worried about the masks impeding self-expression with kids. And it is. I mean, it's really important. In fact, one of those 13 power paths that I write about at the end of the book that I was talking about earlier um, one of them is the path or the power of self-expression. So I'm not, not minimizing that at all. Um, oh, thank, thank you. And, um, and I, most of us have, most of us follow certain faith, whether it's an established religion or other faith. And that for me personally, I can count on that. So no matter what is happening now, I know if we, put our faith in something that we believe greater than us, then there's such a hope. So in, and, and I also, um, I'm, I'm all in for the power of meditation. Do you think also the power of prayer helps in many ways, just as you always, you what there's one modality that if you can later on also share the breath work, please share about that. But in terms of the prayer, what do you see is the role of prayer? Yeah, and that's um, really interesting. I mean, I mean, there's studies. There's studies, scientific studies, double-blind studies, in which 
they, you know, the power of prayer is, is proven, you know, where they have a certain group of people pray for an individual who and they don't know who's being prayed for. And there's a scientifically measurable difference in terms of their recovery, whatever it, whatever it is that they were praying for. So I think that's undeniable. I think one thing to, to remember about what, you know, the, it, because it depends on what we mean by prayer and how we're praying. My only mm, little bit of a concern about prayer is the externalization of the sacred. Like, I don't believe in abominations, um, but if I were to believe in an abomination, it's, to me, it's the externalization of the sacred. You know, how much further could we have placed heaven? Because to that, we can connect both all the sexual issues that we face in this country, in this world, um, and and the way that we treat the planet, because we have made the spiritual, we put it way out there. The physical, we, we turn into something to be conquered, subjugated, controlled. Um, in the case of the body, of the human body, we animalized it. In the case of sexuality, we, we demonized it. So no wonder we have sexual issues. So... So, so that's my concern. You know, as, as long as that prayer includes humanity as an expression, a part of whatever the sacred means, whatever it means to each one of us, then I'm okay with that. To, to the degree that we're externalizing, externalizing, it feels to me like we're giving the power of the stadium away because to me that's the power of the stadium, right? The ego is what keeps us separate. That's why it's the source of suffering because the ego is like it's it's that's the helpful illusion. It's not a bad thing to have a sense of who we are. That's what Homo sapiens sapiens we can translate to mean humans who know that we know, right? So it's that self-reflexive consciousness that allows us allows us to think back upon ourselves, which is what makes us so smart. The price we pay is that we, because now we have a sense of separate identity of individual personality. Then we can we, you know, we can feel separate. We can feel abandoned. We have abandonment issues, um, and we have a sense of our own mortality, which which is you know heavy heavy price to pay for that. Whereas to me, the stadium part of us is is our own piece of sacred real estate, whatever that means. You know, for for us that for some of us the word sacred will will have conjured images of a particular aspect of the divine, a particular face, a particular manifestation of the divine. For others of us, the word sacred will be more abstract. And we might think of life or, or creation or the universe as sacred. It doesn't matter to me what, how we define that. What does matter to me is that we don't exclude ourselves from that, that we don't separate ourselves from that because we are part of that. Perfect. Thank you. I'll pass it on to Jane. So when we were having this conversation, you know, I went back to my own experience as a parent. And when my kids were small, I remember, you know how they say that they need to have a healthy fear of you so you, you know, you have some control. <laughs> and I just wanted to discuss that because I had to make a choice when mine were small and what happened was I didn't, I didn't make them fearful of me, but there's a fine line. You still have to be a parent and a leader. And I, I always felt that they could go within and find their own answers. And so 
I guess what I want to talk about more is how fear controls people. Because I know a lot of great coaches, my, my girls, you know, they horseback ride and kids that go to great coaches, they often control them through, you know, some sort of fear that, you know, they have to be perfect and polished and, you know, a super athlete and all these things. And so there's some good in it. I don't know. I just wanted to talk about the duality of that, if you had any comments. Yeah, I think it's a great and very profound question. You know, this in the book, I, I go into a much longer list of, of the difference between worldly power or ego power and soulful power or spiritual power. I also say that it's not a clear binary, that it's not a black and white thing. It doesn't mean that there aren't times where worldly power is helpful, right? So so in, a, in parenting, for example, I don't know about fear necessarily, but, but it's definitely important to establish authority. Um, and so, for example, uh, that's a great example of when to use worldly power, right? It's like if you see a, a kid running into, the, into oncoming traffic, it's like, no, right? Like, it's not a time to be all democratic and, and sweet and new agey about it. Or same thing, you're standing in front of a group of you know, hundreds of people and the fire alarm goes off. It's not a time to, to, to say, oh, you beautiful beings of love and light. How many of you think we should use that exit? Oh, yes, yeah, beautiful. How many of you think we should use that exit? Beautiful. No, no, go, go, right? Like directive. So it's, it's not a black and white thing. Um, and, and I think for, 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 from the same of, you know, going back to the, the parenting thing and, and for the benefit of the kids, of the children, disciplining them and, and showing them cause and effect. You know, like when you do this, this happens. Um, it's, it's good for them to, to be clear about boundaries. Um, you know, looking back on my life, my father, you know, was a psychiatrist. And he was very live and let live. And I think part of us, they were overwhelmed. They had nine kids within 12 years, no twins, came over to a new country when the oldest was 12. The youngest, literally three months old, without speaking English, so talk about overwhelm and put all those kids through school and feed them and dress them and all that without help that they had in Cuba. Um, because my father had three sisters, you know, who, who helped out with the kids. Um, and so I grew up getting, I got away with so much as a, as a teenager. Looking back on it, I think that having a little bit more definition and boundaries would have been a good thing. Um, and so, um, I mean, thankfully, no harm done. Um, and I'm still alive. Um, but it could have gone a different way. So yeah. it's a fine thing, right? It's a fine line. It's like, how do you discipline? Because, like, you know, it's, it's, it's also for their own good. At some point, you have to say no to a kid having too much sugar. It's not good for them. It's not good for anybody. Um, and it's a hard thing to do, right, to say, no, you can't have that. Um, so I think it, it depends, too, of the, on the come from. Where are we coming from? What's, what's driving it? And, and that's in that situation is not that I'm exerting my 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 power just for the heck of it and say no no you can't have that just because there's there's a reason it's, it's actually coming out of love and out of service even though it doesn't feel like love it's a loving thing 
I think that's brilliant. So where does it come from is yeah. the, where you have to fall back on. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. Thanks for the clarity. Yeah, thank you. Thank yeah. you for the question. I was, I, I was going to ask um, what is power, which is pretty close to that question. Um, but more particular, I was thinking in terms of the dissipation and accumulation of power. What is power? It's not, you don't go to the gym and work out and get this power. Uh, it's certain things like I'm sort of thinking um, in terms of the Carlos Castaneda. I don't know if you're familiar with that, but of course, a series of books um, just for the, the listeners. Carlos Castaneda was a, uh, uh, an apprentice to a shaman. And so he's taught all these 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 kind of, of things of how to gain power. And so in that sense, power uh, may have a slightly different meaning, but. Uh, I know that you get power when you have self-respect, um, or when you when you keep to your own um, standards or your principles, or when you stand up for yourself. You don't dissipate anything. You seem to acquire power at that point. Yes, yes. That's no, an interesting thing. Yeah, maybe you can comment on that a bit. Well, I love you bringing up Castaneda because Don Juan, you know, what? How did remember how he described the path of power? It was a path with heart, right? right. So, so it's it's the same thing to me. That's the same thing as saying soulful power or or heart yeah. power. Um, interesting too, um, in in Spanish and the Romance languages, and I think in, in like in Russian too. Although I can't remember what that word is, the same word can mean um, power or to be able to, like poder in Spanish or pouvoir in French, means both power and to be able to, which I think it's a really interesting connection as yeah. as, as we think about power, right? And and action. And I love what you what you're talking about too because it. Uh, I think it was it you or is it uh, Harvard who was speaking about integrity earlier, um, which is really interesting because we we tend to associate integrity with ethics with morality. That's you know that's the way we look at it today. Whereas that word really comes from the word integer, which means as you know whole number. So the deeper sense of, of the deeper meaning of integrity is about wholeness. Mm, mm. It's about. <clears throat> recovering right and, and owning all parts of, of our rejected humanity all the parts of us that we have stuffed in some closet somewhere whether it's our power or whatever it is that we're hiding and, and, and denying and, and sticking in the shadow um for whatever reason which is usually fear you know fear of acceptance i mean fear of rejection of desire to be accepted um so we we stuff entire parts of who we are and we deny them and many of us have tried to deny our sexuality. Many of us have struggled with and tried to deny our spirituality. They're just parts of being human, right? They're just so part of, to me, when I, when I think about integrity, it's about wholeness and it's about reclaiming all these parts that we have rejected of ourselves so we can be whole and complete beings and then relate to life from that place and that perspective. Do you believe that we can acquire power um, 
say directly from nature, would that be something on your, <clears throat> it would be high up there, you go out there, you sit on a rock or something. Without a doubt. Yeah, without a doubt. Okay. Okay. Without a doubt. For me, without without any question, that's, that's where I re replenish um, most effectively um, when I'm off, when I'm depleted, is by myself in nature. And, and they're doing studies to that effect right now, right? Studying earthing and the effects of, of putting, having direct contact with the energy grid of the earth that is actually measurable. Uh, absolutely. And, and I would go so far as to say that doing something like that, uh, you accumulate power. And I would think that it allows you to, to connect the power allows us to connect to a different aspect of ourselves and to humanity and to nature. Yeah. And I think <clears throat> rather than putting, uh, just reading some of your book, the, the avatar, the movie, seeing the destruction of, of, of mother nature in terms of male and female, I would see it in terms of, of not knowing or having forgotten or having been so disconnected from source yeah uh we have no clue how to engage it and, and, and i'm just mentioning i'm passing because i think a lot of people nowadays they see nature but they actually don't know how to engage nature and i think the way you do that is through those things you're talking about through integrity being honest giving time yeah and, and, and that helps to awaken the soul I love, I love that, Carl. I love that. And to realize that we are freaking nature. Like, we're not yeah, separate right, from right. it. We are nature. And we are the cosmos. 99.999% of the atoms in our body are exactly the same atoms that the stars are made of. Exactly. 50% or maybe 60%, I forget the number, of, of the hydrogen atoms in our body were present at the moment of the Big Bang. I don't even understand how that's possible. But, but what that means is that we can literally, not new agely, not in a beautiful poetic word, we can literally say that we are star beings. We are made of star stuff. That's who we are. That's the stadium part of us. Yeah. I was just thinking what as Sufi said, uh, we come spinning out of nothingness, scattering stars mm. like dust. Beautiful. Beautiful. Yeah. Always. <laughs> so it's been ringing through my head the last year, so I have to get that out. Thanks, Christian. Thank you. Beautiful. Um, when I listened to this, I, it was so interesting because uh, two days ago I got a letter from someone, um, from an assistant of, of, an, of an interview partner we had here. It was Cyrus A. Parser. And... Uh, and she, uh, well, and uh, she is uh, from Falun Dafa. And the interesting thing is, as you said, the aspects to bring them on the from the universe on this uh, on this um, on this planet, or the kind of power, for example, can also be um, what is this truthfulness, compassion, and um, forbearance, or forbearance? Is that correct? Forbearance, yeah. Forbearance, yeah. Yeah, so and um, it was really interesting. I tried this out. Yeah, I tried to uh, to say, for example, uh, Falun Dafa is good, truthfulness is good, compassion is good, and um, forbearance is good. Yeah. Forbearance, yeah. And in that moment, uh, as it is a judgment, 
what we what we people as human beings we need judgment in order to get a direction. You came I came directly out of the 4D in the in the 3D. This is really cool. So I was direct in the presence. Yeah. I, th I think you, I mean, I love the, the, the fine tuning that you're bringing to the question. Because I think that in my mind, in my, the way that I think about it, what you're talking about, that kind of judgment to me is evaluation, right? Like, this is good, that's not good, kind of thing. That's it. I mean, the difference to me between a judgment, which is an egoic function, which is part of what the ego does, it's, it's really judgmental, it's that harsh inner critic that has something to say about everyone and everything every single moment of the day before we even get out of bed before our feet even hit the floor it's already going it's already got something to say about everything until the point where we finally fall asleep exhausted if we're able to fall asleep because sometimes it's it's doing its thing keeps us up all night so that's the ego part and and but then there's two so how do we know the difference right between a judgment that has a lot negative weight of of the harsh inner judge and the critic Versus what you're talking about, which is to me, that's that's how I differentiate that for me. To me, that's more like an evaluation. The judgment has a charge, right? So I have an agenda in things being a certain way. Whereas an evaluation doesn't. It's more like of a clean, this is good for me, that's not good for me. It's, uh, um, I liked, for example, in Antoine Saint Exupery, he, he explained it like, um, I don't know which book, uh, like an engineer. Yeah, an engineer makes one thousand failure, but he wasn't. He wants to, he wants to invent something, but he never judge because he think, okay, how can I improve it? But we, uh, if, if we make a failure, we stand up and we are angry, and then <laughs> two days later we try it again, but then we are angry again. So it takes much more time than than an engineer. Um, um, but I, I have a private question because um, it was it's very interesting that you uh, grew up in Cuba with the character to to hide yourself now you are you expose yourself you you show who you are yeah but the whole world because everyone is in this process and everyone is more or less showing who he, who he is comes to a communist regime again so you have all you may let's say it this way by the measurements which we have uh, these measurements were used by um, for by the Chinese and South uh, North Korean regime in 1950s in order to transform the society in a communist regime. Mm -hmm. So the situation is what we have right now. It's the tree transforming in a communist regime and in a masculine regime because there is no uh, there is no emotions anymore. There is no gender anymore. All that stuff. Yeah. And my question is. How do you act with these things? Because you you know the past, you know how dangerous the situation is. The same dangerous situation, the possibility of the same dangerous situation as can maybe come right now with the cold technology, yeah. And then we have the soul awakening of everyone, every human being at the moment. Can you get? Can you yeah. give us some comments with this? Yeah, I mean, there's so much to to unpack there. I, I don't personally believe that there's any system in this world that's that's communist right now. Um, okay, it doesn't exist in Russia. It certainly doesn't exist in China, um, which are kind of the you know the birthplace of it. Um, are there totalitarian dictatorial regimes? Yes, of course. But that's a different conversation. I think the more interesting question is what you're asking. How do we? 
how do how do we balance self-expression with the needs of 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 the community um and to and part of what i feel is like as we step outside of the realm of the baseball as we step into the realm of 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 the stadium self-expression is just natural right there, there, there is, it's part of to me that is one of the 13 paths to power is like there isn't anybody in this universe or any other universe who has who has the same genetics the same set of experiences that make each one of us unique if we don't give expression to that nobody else is going to do it so to me it is a universal imperative to give expression fully to that unique human potential that resides in, in each one of us. And I think as we step into our authentic power in the, in the realm of the stadium, it includes by definition, by nature, the well-being of all, right? And we are able to step out of anybody's definitions. Of, of what it means to be a man, what it means to be a woman, we get to decide that, right? Rather than, than allow ourselves to be limited by any external definitions or, or expectations, whether it's from family or culture or religion, it's like, to me, that's that's the beauty of stepping out of, 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 of the limited prison of the ego is we get to make up the rules, ultimately. And at that level, since we're aware of our stadium nature and the interconnectedness of it all, of course, we're not going to do anything that's harmful intentionally. Yeah, so it's, it's sort of like in, in this next book, which is on relationships that I'm about halfway done, I get into, the, into morality. Like, how do we know what's right and how do we know what's wrong if we're not going to go by, by texts that were written 2,000 years ago and, and taken out of, translated and retranslated and mistranslated and taken out of their cultural and historical context, how do we know that? And so I, I give like a, like a, like a hierarchy or le a layers or levels of morality, which is we start out with fear, right? Fear of, of you do or, or not do something because of fear of they're going to they're gonna divorce you or you're going to go to hell. Then we evolve. We evolve. Then we go into you know, the morality of karma. I'm not going to do something because it's going to come back and harm me. And then the, the ultimate level, which to me is what we're stepping into in, in, the, in the realms of the stadium, is, is what I call a namaste uh, morality, which is the, the sacred in me, the, the, that which is highest and most loving in me, sees and bows to and recognizes that in you. And how could I then steal from you or rape you or invade your country? I see. So it's implicit. Interesting, yeah. That's, that's, that's right. Um, uh, I, uh, I, uh, let's say it this way. Com uh, the communism in, this tra in, the, in the in traditional way, I don't mean about that. I, I mean it like uh, Mr. Prasa said in our last interview. Uh, the communists are, um, don't believe in anything. So in this reason, they are controlled by fear. And if you have trust, uh, if you believe in something, then you are a communist. And this is uh, this is his definition, and I like it very much, because um, we uh, because of all of the measurements, also wearing the mask, holding the distance, socializing, uh, uh, no 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 possibility of socializing. The people have, let's say, the brain. Um, what's the word here? 
for the for the for the uh, there is uh, the part, there is an organ in our brain which produces a specific protein. And all that will be reduced by these kind of measurements. And it's only and only by meditation we can hold it so that we can uh, that we can hold our humanity or the the things what a human being is uh, what for a human being is essential. But the behavior, Mm -hmm. what our behavior is not allowed to be like like a human being at the moment well you know i don't i don't resonate with that like no? i get okay. to be as human as i want to i don't care i don't care what anybody thinks or does i get to be all of who i am i don't allow anybody to to limit my expression okay and i wear a mask by choice not because i feel like i'm I don't, when I wear a mask, when I go into a public environment, I don't feel like I'm forfeiting my freedoms. Same way that I don't, I don't feel like, you know, like by wearing a seatbelt, I'm being mandated to do something. Okay. To me, to me it's, about, it's about self-care and it's about taking care of each other. Mm -hmm. That's and, it. and maybe a year from now, we'll find out that it is not airborne and, we'll, and we'll, it won't be an issue and we won't have to wear masks. But in the meantime, like if there is a chance, even 10% chance that that is how it's communica communicable, then I don't mind wearing a mask for the you know few minutes a day when I wear one. Ah, okay. That's very interesting. That's very interesting because um, uh, that shows me how powerful it is that the inside and the outside, uh, let's say it this way, that you're you're the perspective and the feeling of yourself can be uh, independently of the self-expression outside. This is yes. correct. Yes, and we're talking about freedom, right? Yes. With, with little f or capital F. And what yes. I'm talking about is living in, in the highest way of freedom, which means I have choice. I ah. have choice. I have choice. I wear masks as I choose to, not because I feel like I'm being mandated to. Like, no, I think, you know, if there's a chance, you know, like in this increasingly interconnected world and with all these variants popping up everywhere, I think we're going to find out. I don't know, but I think we're going to find out that the only way is going to be all of us working together because otherwise with everybody traveling from one place to the other, it's just going to continue. <laughs> So I'm thinking, you know, the way that I see it now, it's, it's an opportunity for all of us, all humanity to work together. And if it means wearing a mask a few minutes a day, I mean, my heart goes out to those people who have to wear it because of where they work all day. It's like, I don't know that I could do that. Um, but it, to me, it's about protecting ourselves and, and protecting each other. It, to That's me, it. it's, it's, I don't see it as, as I'm giving up my freedom. No, it's, uh, it's very interesting to see. Uh, yes, wonderful. No, thank you so much. Yeah, of course. Thank you. My, my definition and relationship to the word freedom is much bigger than that. And this is this is the definition. This is what I want to say: that the freedom by meditation is is yes. you can feel it. Yes. I see. Yes, that's what I'm talking about. That's what it feels like to me.
I see. Thank you. I will give to Grace. Thank you so much. Yeah, I, I strongly agree with that. You know, the freedom really that I want to experience is freedom from within. So that whatever situation I am in, whether I, I'm in the Philippines and we have experienced a lot of things and then or I come or I go to United States because that was one of the things that my friend said, you're going to the mouth of the enemy. I said, it's okay, you know, that's because we were already aware before that with all those colony, years of colonization and then it would just kind of change from independence, but it's a different kind of colonization again. So it's okay because in my heart and in my soul, I know I'm going to find freedom in whatever I do. And then, and Christian, this one, you like my story. When So then when I was ready to have a child and then we, I, I gave birth to a son and now he's grown. You know how there are many uh, comic story or superpowers and there's Superman. We taught him to do a K-man. His nickname is KK. And that name means great person of the earth born on Sunday. So even that name, we've made sure that he can claim it, own it. So I said, instead of superpower from Superman, own your power. So we taught him to say, what's the K-man power? Yeah, I love that. I love that. <laughs> and so whenever he, he gets, you know, he gets like, you know, as a parent, and now he, he gets it, he acts up or gets whatever. And we always tell him that you have a K-man power. <laughs> and I think he never forgot that. And then and then I would like to, I, I'll lead it to a little story again that after this, for sure, you might talk about breath work. Then when I locked myself out of the car, and uh, yeah, out of the car, and I have an appointment. I have to go to work at three o'clock. And you know, as an ICU nurse, I can't be late. And I called him, and he said, "Mom, mom." He said, "Relax. That's why you're taking meditation. That's why you're taking yoga. Breathe." <laughs> you see, that's how my son, from early on, had that came and power to remind her his mother. So, so please share with us, you know, anything that you could teach us on the power of breath or breathing because I'm also a nurse and if my patient doesn't breathe, they die. Yeah, yeah. I love that and I love that story. It's very moving because it's very hope inspiring, right? You're what you're teaching your son that he's just coming up with as part of it and here and part of who he is. Didn't have to read it in a book or hear it in a workshop like we did. So, mm -hmm. so, so thank you for that. Um, I want to say one more thing about freedom because one of my soulful power heroes, like along with Gandhi and so many others, is, is Nelson Mandela, who spoke about how, and, and, and it, this kind of relates to forbearance or for forgiveness. Um, he talked about how if he hadn't been able to find a way to forgive in his heart the people who jailed him, like he said, I would still be in jail. Right, so it talks about freedom being a state of mind. It's, it's not about the physical space. You can be free in prison, and you be and you can be imprisoned like most of hum, human beings are living in a free country. Right, and you can and you can be so many other ways that you you can feel imprisoned. Um, so it really is a state of mind. In terms of, of the breath, 
grace, it's all about the breath, right? It's, it's at the core of every meditation practice of yoga. In, in most spiritual traditions, the same word, one word can mean spirit or breath, depending on, on context. So from ancient Greek pneuma, from which we get pneumonia, that word pneuma meant both soul and lung. And from the Latin spidata, that root, we get both respiration and inspiration or expiration. So, so I was, you know, like I, like I was talking, my degrees in psychology, my dad was a psychiatrist. My, my, I was on a track to get a PhD in psychology. And when I discovered breath work, which is a yogic type breathing practice that you do for about an hour, an hour and a half, and it's really powerful. Um, when I discovered it 30 years ago, I jumped tracks. I never went for the PhD because it works so fast and it heals so profoundly at so many levels. I don't know anything more effective in terms of healing past trauma. And for our society of PTSD, that's really, really timely and a very simple and effective um, and quick acting healing technique. Um, it can also provide, and, and not only does it heal emotionally and mentally, but it, it even heals physically. And I know that sounds too good to be true. Um, to my logical mind, my scientific mind, my more skeptical mind, that sounds even 30 years of talking about it and doing breathwork, offering it all over the world. That still sounds, you know, like crazy, like too good to be true. But I can't argue with the results. It works. And it works with permanent effects. And so like to me that the science isn't there yet, that they haven't really studied breathwork and why it works in the same way that, that they have done so much research on meditation and its benefits um, and all the benefits that it has physically and, and emotionally and even in terms of performance and in the workplace. Um, breathwork isn't there yet. It's kind of following that trajectory. But so the only way that I can understand how it works and, and how it can cause such amazing experiences of bliss and oneness and connectedness and realization of, of, of the stadium nature um, of, you know, of, of oneness, um, is that spirit breath connection. I, I don't, I don't find another way that I can explain it in a way that, that really makes sense. And so any, any practice that, that one is drawn to, um, you know, like Harvard was talking about the, the, the bio, biochemical parts of our brains and, and, and the reactive, um, you know, part of our brains, which is another way of looking at the reason of understanding why we do the things we do. In addition to understanding the ego, you know, there's the amygdala hijack and that amygdala is the part of the brain that is all about incredibly quick, very, very, and, and it's very defensive. It's about survival. It's connected to the survival part of the brain. And, and it's all about fight, flight, or freeze. And when we talk about the amygdala hijack, and I'm not doing this justice, I'm going through it really fast. The amygdala, the amygdala receives sensory information that interprets it as danger. It reacts in those three predictable ways, which is good in terms of survival. But the problem is that it's really fast, but it's not very accurate. So it's making like instant choices. And it also gets confused. Right? So when we feel threatened in an argument in which physical survival is not at stake, it doesn't matter. The amygdala reacts in those three boring predictable ways, fight, flight, or freeze. Further compounding the problem is that when it goes into that mode, it shuts off communication to the thinking brain. So now we're like in DEFCON 1, like, like high alert, just ready to pounce. 
We're ready to defend, and we can't even think straight. What would our grandmothers tell us, right? Like, like even before we understood the brain biochemistry, our grandmothers knew intuitively. Like, what would they tell us? Like, when you get upset, what do you do, right? You count to 10, right? The amygdala hijack lasts 8 to 10 seconds. Like, if we wait too long and we go over the waterfall and those endorphins and, and that adrenaline is released into the, the bloodstream, then it takes longer to come back to normal. But the actual hijack is 8 to 10 seconds. They, how did they know that? Right? And they would tell us, take a breath. Take a breath. Intuitively, like, like there's, there's swamis in India that have that much control over their body that they can tell the heart to slow down, and the heart slows down. They can even mimic states that are almost indis indistinguishable from death. Most of us aren't there yet and may never, probably won't, have that much control and awareness about our bodies, control over and awareness about our bodies. Anybody can slow down the breath. Anybody can slow down the breath. All it takes is a choice and a little bit of self-discipline. When we slow down the breath, the heart has no choice. The heart has to slow down. It doesn't have a choice. As the heart slows down, the nervous system begins to relax. The body begins to open. So again, that's how we hijack the amygdala hijack and bring choice back into the equation so that we don't have to react to our unhealed pasts and, and our suppressed emotions and to our brain biochemistry where we can choose how to be and how we respond to situations, which, by the way, doesn't mean stuffing our emotions at all, right? We're talking about empowerment. So we get to have access to our emotions. We get to express the whole gamut of human emotions. We want to have the emotions and not be had by them. But that means that we can use anger if we want to, right? But at choice, not reacting out of some unhealed part of us because something did something to us that we interpreted as, as betrayal or hurt or whatever because of some unresolved issue from our past. That's not freedom. That's just reacting unconsciously. Uh, so what we're going for is bringing as you know, making the, the subconscious conscious so that we can bring choice back into the equation. That's freedom. Thank you. Yeah. Again? Yeah, to, you know, to sum up everything that we've talked about, I, I just wanted you to clarify and your vision on what it might what it means for all of us to live in a soul for power and why all hands on deck um i feel that change happens within each of us and you know and me seeing the sacred in you and you seeing the sacred in me it's a lot like avatar you know i see you yes. you know and i think it's more of, of us become this that we'll see a vibrational shift on this planet and that's what I hope for. Do you have comments on that? That's my hope too. That's my hope too. You know, yeah. call, it, call it the hundredth monkey effect. Even though I know that what that was then, that story in which that was based turned out to be a myth. Um, but I still feel that to me, it still makes sense. Um, and so sometimes, you know, there's so much stuff and so much crap that we're facing. Um, I mean, not only the environmental stuff that we, we're just now beginning to witness what, what we have unleashed on the environment, the, the, the polarization, the us versus them. Um, you know, how do we even talk? You know, I, I would say 
before I would say to a terrorist who thinks that I'm that I'm satanic, but I don't even have to go to the other side of the world. There's people in this country that think that I'm satanic. The polarization has gotten that extreme, um, and and the self righteousness, right? Which is all worldly powers. All I'm right and you're wrong is what I call the you know the theological pissing contest. My God is bigger than yours. Um, so. Um, Sometimes I just think, you know, it's so overwhelming that I just think, you know what? I'm just going to go to the beach and have a lot of sex and eat a lot of chocolate, a lot of dark <laughs> chocolate. <laughs> and then I think, all right, all right, reel myself back, all right, dude, chill out, relax. What can I do? Right? I'm not going to solve the, the, the worldwide, you know, injustices or, 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 or the, 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 the environmental crisis on my own. But what can I do, right? I can continue to wake myself up, to heal myself as much as possible, as quickly as possible. And I can help as many others as possible to do the same. All right, that I can do. I'll do that, right? I will do that. And, and, and hopefully, I'm banking on what, you're, on what you're saying. I'm banking on that at some point, enough of us reach a critical mass and then boom, <laughs> right? We become established in that level of consciousness. I can't vouch for that, but I'm, I'm banking on that. Yeah, me too. And I feel like with the veil lifting that, you know, so much is being revealed and seen right now. And we are going into this place of inner power. So there is hope. <laughs> yeah, yeah there, is, there is so much to be hopeful for. Yeah. And so many amazing breakthroughs in, in humanity. And so many of us waking up. Exactly. Yeah. And even, you know, looking looking at, you know, the, the, the Me Too movement. Right? So, so like this really patriarchal thing happened about power over. And, and out of that, this feminine energy, energy gets unleashed. So it's, it's both, right? It's, it's both and. And I think the outcome is inevitable. I just don't know about the trajectory and the length of time to get there. Right? We prefer the fast route, but who knows? <laughs> Thank you so much for sharing your incredible wisdom today, Christian. And I think we all grew from it and I'm going to reinforce my practices and what you have taught and thank just thank you so much thank you i'm, I'm so touched by every one of you the questions were brilliant and timely and exciting and, and powerful and i'm so glad that you're out there um and touching so many lives so so thank you for the opportunity and thank you for doing what you do on all our behalf it was a real pleasure thank you thank you thank you christian thank you so real pleasure yes Oh, Christian, maybe um, do you want to share if you have anything to share in terms of your future plans that possible that you want to let your followers know or the new people? Yeah, thank you. Um, yeah, if they want to get on my email list uh, so that I can let them know about the, the next the next two books on the series Calling All Heroes. So this is the first one of the three of what it means to live a heroic life in the 21st century. The next one is on relationships how to do relationships consciously. And then the third one is on life purpose and, and leadership from a mindful perspective. 
Um, so the best way to, to follow me or to get my uh, to get on my email list is go to my website, soulfulpower.com. And if they do slash free guided meditation, and I can add, you know, we can add the link later. So soulfulpower.com slash free guided meditation altogether. They can get on my email list and they can get a 20-minute guided meditation on teaching about trust, which is so necessary in these times of, of fear and uncertainty. Um, and they get a list of, of power practices um, from the distilled from the book. Um, so yeah, you know, I think the way out of this is by staying connected, right? It's, it's the power of, of consciousness coming together. And what can we do together that we can't do separate and alone? Yes. Thank you. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Be safe. Thank you.